Hi to everyone in London at HTV today. Just want to say thank you so much to Will van der Hart for inviting me to speak on this amazing subject of hope. My name is Beth Redman and I'm sat in my lounge in California. I've never quite given a talk like this before from my front room, but let's go for it. I want to talk to you today from a couple of passages in the Bible. One of them is Exodus 14:13, the story of Moses and the Israelites. And then I want to conclude by looking at um, a stunning passage in Romans about Abraham. And I'm so grateful to be asked to speak at this conference. If you don't know anything about me, let me just quickly tell you a tiny bit of information. Um, I am a mum of five. Our oldest is 18, our youngest is eight. I've been married to my husband, Matt, for um, 20 years. We've moved um, along an interesting journey, um, living between America and England um, for the past 10 years. And we are now based in California. We're part of Free Chapel um, Church here, our local church, our pastors, Jensen and Sharice Franklin, and we absolutely love being involved here. And Matt and I met about 24 years ago. I was um, on a year project with Youth for Christ and we went to the local church, St Andrews Chorleywood, to do a week of evangelism with the schools. And Matt was the worship pastor and I was this young evangelist, 19 years old. And um, we met and we ended up becoming friends and I ended up becoming his backing singer, kept it professional. Um, and then we ended up getting married. And if you know anything about our backgrounds, we kind of were like a statistic disaster. Um, on my side of the family, there were three marriages. On his side of the family, there were three marriages. There was a history of, you know, suicide, depression, mental illness, um, just divorce, chaos, violence, abuse, physical, sexual, all kinds of just horrific adversity. So the two of us coming together, you know, on paper, a therapist would be like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, you do, no. Um, but for the grace of God. And I love that you can either go through something and become a victim of it, or you can go through something and with God, that suffering can equip you to mediate God's comfort. And not just on your own, but two are better than one. So our testimonies, rather than becoming a victim of them, together we can come together and use our testimonies as people who are overcoming. We haven't overcome, we are overcoming. You know, the Bible says we go from strength to strength and glory to glory. So hands up, it's a process. We haven't arrived. We are still recovering and overcoming, but we're doing it together with God. And that actually means that those testimonies can be used to help other people who are struggling. And so through our marriage, we've been able to travel around, you know, telling people the good news of Jesus, you know, telling people that there is hope in depression, that there is help after abuse, that you can actually, with God and with the most amazing help, you can actually overcome adversity. And so that's become one of our biggest passions, one of the biggest themes that we actually write songs about or speak to people about um, is overcoming suffering and help in suffering and hope in suffering. So I guess um, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, am I just like a one trick pony where this is all I speak about? But I'm like, no, I'm going to be, I'm fine. If this is my subject, I'll speak on it. 
I want to speak about hope um, in adversity. And actually, the, talk, the name of this talk is Hope Against Hope When You Can't See the Wood for the Trees. And that is actually how I would describe a couple of these stories that we're going to look at in the Bible and actually our own testimonies. Um, and just to just tell you a quick story, at the beginning of this year, I decided to take a group of five women on a silent retreat, which was very ambitious because evangelicals are very wordy and very noisy. Um, and I really am not known for being a silent person, but I became really interested in this whole area of um, silence and solitude. And I'm like, if Jesus was into this, I wanna be into this. And I wanna teach other people to, in a noisy world, in a busy culture, in a needing to tell and show and prove that actually retreating and being still is where we find our strength and our identity and our purpose. So I had this great idea to take these five women on a silent retreat, having never even been on a silent retreat. <laughs> so off we went, these girls from LA, they're living in the fast lane in every way you can imagine. And off we went to the mountains in Northern California, and, you know, it says in the Bible, it's not good to be zealous without knowledge. So I wanted to know a bit about the area where we were going to be. We hired this mountain top retreat and there was a manual that came with the retreat. And so I was really keen as the group leader to just understand the area, you know, the do's, the don'ts. And it became pretty clear as I looked in the manual that there was some wildlife we were to be aware of, um, namely um, bears and lions. And, you know, I am not an adventurous person. I am, I'm not even a zoo person. I'm like, I'm fine here in my house. Like, let's just all just be here. So I'm not adventurous. So this was alarming to me. So I was very clear with the girls. I was like, listen, we're going to be in the house on the silent retreat. We're going to stay on the property. The manual says there have been lion and bear sightings down by the river. So, you know, you must never go off the track you know the house had a track stand surrounding it we're going to stay on the track and we're going to stay on the property and we were all really clear about that so that was good except for there was one problem when we arrived at our silent retreat the house we were going to stay in wasn't ready so we were offered another property um further down the hill and they said you stay here we'll give you a call when your property's ready so we're like okay no problem and so it became dark and we received a phone call saying, your home is now ready for you. Feel free to make your way um, to the top of the mountain. And so that was just gonna be like a five minute short stroll, but I just wanted to double check. I said, look, I've read the manual. Are you definitely sure that it is safe to walk from this home to this home? I said, I promise you, you will never find a bear or a lion on the path here. Just stay on the path. It's a five minute walk. You're absolutely safe. So I was like, are you sure? They said, yes, we are sure. So I'm like, okay, group leader is satisfied. So I assemble the girls and we make our way to the home. And by chance, we happen to ha be having a conversation about what we would do if we saw a lion. And we're all walking along arm in arm and we're using my iPhone uh, torch so that we can see how to get to the house. And as we're having this hypothetical question about what we would do if we saw a lion, I think you know what's gonna happen in the story, don't you? 
my iPhone torch suddenly is shining on a set of eyes and on an animal that's pretty big and that looks very much like a mountain lion. And all of us at the same time see these shiny eyes looking back at us and this big face and we freeze. Now I'm the group leader so I'm the one who's supposed to have a plan and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Bethel Music or Amanda Cook but she wrote this song called You Make Me Brave and she was standing next to me and I had literally had her by the scruff and I was like sing you make me brave, sing you make me brave. I'm the group leader, I've got to make a plan. The absolute worst scenario, which I feel like I went to great lengths to prevent, was facing me and the girls, and I'm in charge. And so we all turn, almost a synchronized turn, and start to walk, and then one of the girls says, I think it's more dangerous to turn your back. So then we all turn, and we are facing the lion and I can honestly say I have never been more scared and felt more responsible in my life and I cannot think what to do and I'm like Lord what do I do what do I do I, I can't go left because that's the woods I can't go right that's the woods I can't go backwards because then we're more likely to be taken down and I can't go forward because I'm way more likely to be eaten so where can I go? I'm facing a lion. And so I quickly get my phone and I phone the manager who, by the way, had told me this was a like, not possible scenario. And I say to him, Andrew, I am staring at a lion. Help me. And Andrew starts laughing, which if you think about it, he probably needs to go on some like compassion course or something. But he's laughing and he says, oh no, oh no, I am so sorry. And I'm like, Andrew, I help us, tell us what to do. And he says, no, I am so sorry, I forgot to tell you. And he said, I paid to have a fake lion put in the driveway as a plaything for my dogs. And I'm like, oh, okay. That, you didn't put that in the manual, did you? And so he said, I am so sorry. He said, I paid extra to have real life eyes because then in the night, it looks even more real. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I promise that what you were staring at Looks like a lion, but I promise you it is not a real. Share that story. Why does that have any relevance whatsoever? Well, I think it has a lot of similarities, that story that I was thrust into without knowing how I was going to actually get out alive. It has such a parallel with this story in Exodus 14, 13. You know, the Israelites, they have been battered by life. This isn't the first time that they've been in a situation where they're under threat and their lives are at risk. And they don't just have one issue. You know, they're surrounded on every side by the Egyptians who are bloodthirsty. You know, they don't want to just have an argument. They want to take their lives. And they are surrounded on every side. And God has led them to that place. He told Moses, camp here. And then... There is Pharaoh. So they're right where they're meant to be, and yet they're surrounded on every side. And I shared that story with you because I was right where I was meant to be. I'd 
read the manual. I double-checked that this was safe for me. I thought this was the best path to get my people where they needed to go safely. And then well, there I am, suddenly facing a great big impossible situation. I didn't have a strategy. I didn't have any resources. And I'm there under threat. And what did I do? I'm not like pointing the finger at God or blame shifting to my friends or becoming a victim. I do the only thing I know to do, which is phone the man who wrote the manual and ask him for help. And we see in this passage in Exodus 14, 10, it says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So when they are surrounded on every side and they're facing or being pursued by their worst enemy with no way out, they don't turn to hope. They turn to disillusionment and confusion and bitterness and they go back to being the people that don't believe that God is the saviour who is faithful to his promises. And they turn to God and they talk to God, but they blame him. They're not looking to him for hope. They say, you know what, why didn't you just make us die over there? You know, thanks God, we would have been much happier to have been slaves under Pharaoh. But God has allowed them to come to the very edge of their worst nightmare and to be surrounded on every side so that he can show them you don't have to actually do anything. You just have to trust me, do nothing and watch me fight your battles. Watch me face down your giants for you. And so we see in this passage, as they complain and flail and are fearful and are absolutely a people without hope. And we know in that in Proverbs, it says, you know, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. These are people who are tired of being in the same situation. They don't see any hope. And Moses answers them, not just with the solution, but with hope against hope. And he says this in verse 13, he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And as Christians, one minute you can be looking ahead and thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this? How did I get to this place? This is so unfair and there's nowhere to turn and you have no resources left. And the Bible teaches us not to be afraid in those moments. To actually stand firm in hope and see deliverance. Not just a little bit but complete, miraculous deliverance. And I believe that that's a word that God wants to give to some of you at the conference today. And to those of you who are out of hope, 
or those of you who are facing a situation and you're actually surrounded on four sides. It might be your finances and your marriage or your health and your children or your boss or your business. And you think, you know what? Wherever I turn, there's a situation that's beyond me and there's no way out. And what our flesh wants to do is to get into hopelessness which we know will only lead us down a path of depression and disillusionment and discouragement and fear and panic and anxiety and needing to medicate whatever we can get our hands on so that we just don't think, feel or have to deal with the problem. You know, one of our children was just not turning homework in and we'd say like, what's the situation? You know, you're not naughty. And he said, I am just so stressed, I just don't do it. And we said, well, that's called passivity. (laughs) You know, it's okay to feel stressed, but in that moment, just ask for help and we will be there with you and help you do the thing that feels beyond you. And so when Moses is saying, don't be afraid, stand firm, he's not saying, yet just get into passivity. He's calling the people into peacivity. You know, as Christians, we are not supposed to be people that just fold or run. But we can actually look to this book. We can look to this book and say, I'm surrounded and I'm being commanded to actually not give in to my fear and to anxiety, to not self-medicate, to not numb myself and just check out and be passive and be like, okay, whatever, God, cheers. It would have been better for me not to have even accepted you as Lord and Saviour. It would have been better for me not to have actually put myself in this situation where I put my neck on the line and stood for something. But God is speaking a message today to have hope in spite of what surrounds you. And Moses commands the people, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to do one thing. today at the conference guess what it is be still now this is not a world of stillness this is a world of doing this is a world of proving this is a world of fighting branding marketing um, self-promotion victimization this passage tells us when you find yourself surrounded and you have a history of going through hard times, don't give up on God and his promises. Don't even give in to fear. Press into his word and his promises. Because God actually wants you to do one thing today. It's not fight, it's not fold. It's not rail or rally the troops or fight back. It's be still. And I love how um, the psalmist in Psalm 66, you know, he's talking and he's saying, David the psalmist is saying, be still and know that I am God. He's proclaiming this truth over his circumstances. God is literally saying to him, take off your hands and stop striving. And that's not how the culture works. That's not how a person thinks. We think when we run into situations, we've got to get on Google. We've got to get ourselves the best therapist. We've got to get ourselves the best defense team. We've got to get a strategy. God is saying, 
be still. You need only to be still. I will fight for you. And that is where your hope comes from. So if you are looking forwards to the sides and behind you and you're seeing circumstances that are beyond your control and are unfair and relentless, lions staring you in the face, I pray the peace of God into your situation that you would actually say, do you know what? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I am surrounded by the God of the impossibles. I am surrounded by a God who brings hope where there is no hope. And that's why I want to look also in Romans because Moses is such an incredible leader. Can you imagine trying to navigate people who just basically complain and turn against God every five minutes? And God's like, no, no, I'm actually leading you into this like impossible scenario to show you that I am God. I'm greater than the Pharaoh chasing you down. David, I'm greater than Goliath. Abraham, I'm greater than your wife's infertility and your age and your body. In every circumstance, when you can't see the wood for the trees, and what that means when you're so into a situation, you're like, I actually have no way out. I can't even remember how I got here. And I can't even quite see how I'm going to get out of here. What we do is we hope against hope. Now, we know what hope is. You know, it's a, it's a choosing to expect that our circumstances will change. I like to, I used to call myself a delusional optimist and now I've matured somewhat. I like to call myself a relentless optimist because I refuse to believe that anything is impossible for God. I think when I was a younger Christian, I had maybe what I would call foolish hope and it didn't matter what anyone would tell me. I'd be like, no, no, nothing's impossible for God. Now I know as a mature Christian, Foolish hope doesn't work. We've got to have fixed hope. And that means that we take counsel and we have wisdom and advice and faith and hope and we press on through anything that is facing us because we know it doesn't matter what any doctor, person, slanderer or circumstance can say, nothing is impossible for God. And so I want to look um, into Romans 4. And I love, um, I'm not sure what translations you're reading in. I love the New King James. I love the NIV. I love the message. But I want to just read in the NIV. So I'm not quite sure what you're all reading today. But in the NIV, in Romans 4, 18, it says this. This is why I love Abraham. I'm like, he basically has become our example of how to operate in faith. Because he believed the promise of God in the midst of a very impossible impossibility, like the lion I was facing. He's like, the lion of the lion of the lion is staring him in the face, and he's like, but God can do it. And God promised him that he'd be the father of many nations, and he received that promise when he's 75 years old, like way beyond the sell-by date, when his wife is just not up for it. It's not going to happen. And Romans 4 gives us this blueprint, I love it so much, about how he receives the promise from God. And that's first because God gave him a promise. You know, we're not going to be like delusional and pull words out of the sky. Like, I just felt today that God told me. It's like, well, okay, that's good. I love feelings, but I also think we should root all feelings in this and in the company of good counsel and then cling on to those promises. And so he had a promise and he knew that if God says he was going to do it, he's going to need to believe him. And so the primary way we receive God's promise is through the written word of God. 
And second, he ordered his speaking to reflect the promise. You know, he wasn't going around talking about his barrenness. He was talking about God's goodness and the faith and the vision that he saw. He was speaking in accordance with the promise. And the verses say that he hoped against hope. So what does it mean and how did he do it? Well, first I want to look at what hope is. And hope can mean many things, but I want to focus on one aspect of hope because hope represents possibilities. And I love hearing testimonies like Moses and the Israelites because if I hear a testimony, it reminds me there is a possibility in the midst of the impossibility. And, and what happens in Exodus 14? Well, they approached the impossible, which was the sea, and God opened it not only did they walk through but it was dry land and the minute they got through it it swallowed up their enemies i mean that's you you can't you couldn't have seen that one coming you know you couldn't you think well what have i you know have i got a knife or what have i got that no you got nothing so god's gonna make something where there's nothing and we see that in romans 4 against all hope verse 18 abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. So there was the promise. He heard the promise. He held on to the promise. He believed the promise. He spoke the promise. And then he just waited faithfully for the promise. He had hope against hope. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Some say 75, some say 100. So he didn't have foolish hope. He was like fully acknowledging. He's like, oh, I know. I know everything is not like as it should be. But I'm still going to believe because God said. And Sarah's womb was also dead. You know, problem number two. Yet, I love this verse 20. Let's be people who are like this in our hope. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And he was delivered over to death. 4.18 says this in the NIV, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And I love it that his hope was bearing fruit and it was help him. It was helping his strength. It was helping his faith. It was helping him to have power. And it fully persuaded him that no matter what he saw in the natural, God has got this. So I just want to finish by reminding you, as the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. That's literally God saying, Take your hands off the things that you can't control. Take your hands off the things that are facing you on every side. Stop striving and trust me with the things that seem impossible in your life. You can actually hope against hope. When you can't see the wood for the trees, when you don't know 
where to turn next. When you actually choose to have hope, you know, gratitude actually changes you chemically. It's like gratitude changes the chemicals in your brain. It actually alters your attitude and your outlook and your physical well-being. Just as hope deferred makes you sick, gratitude brings gratefulness. And his hope and gratitude actually fully persuaded him that God had the power to do what he had promised, even in his hundred-year-old state. So when you're going through a difficult time, but you're standing on a promise of God, you must do what Abraham did. And yes, your bank balance might look bad, or yes, the doctor's report might be bad, or yes, you might think, I can't do this marriage anymore, or what am I going to do with this diagnosis or this child or this crisis or this confrontation or just what feels like a whole lot of too much in my life? And just remember that many of these things that look like impossibilities in your life are just false threats appearing real and that your God is able. He's alive and well and he's able and he cares about you. And so I pray in a busy, noisy world, that today you would actually enter into God's rest. You would enter into stillness where there might be fear or you might be leading. You might be like Moses saying, I'm leading a whole lot of fearful, grumbling people who are out of hope. And that God would actually fill you with his power so that you can lead his people. Or God would remind you that when all is said and done and you haven't got any moves left, you are setting yourself up for the most wonderful miracle because you're saying over to you God over to you so let's pray together God I thank you for every single person gathered at the conference I thank you for every head and every heart and Lord I thank you that you want to meet each person by the power of your Holy Spirit and we invite you Lord where there is anxiety where there is troubles where there are people who are hard pressed or perplexed God, I pray that that room would be full of hope and that people would hope in the face of hopelessness and hope against hope. They would be fully persuaded that, God, you are well able to make all grace abound. You are well able to do what they cannot do. You are able to open the ground up and swallow up the giants and the impossibilities that they are facing, God. You're a good father and we love you. And we thank you that nothing is impossible for the Lord. And I want you to go away claiming that over your congregation, over your household, over your life, over your mind. Remind yourself, hold on a minute. God's given me Exodus 14. He's given me it to remind me in my worst moment that nothing is impossible for the Lord. He's given me Romans 4. To remember that if God makes a promise, no matter what the natural is telling you, you can still hope against hope. And if you're someone who says, I actually cannot see the wood for the trees. I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going. I pray that this conference would reorientate you and take away that feeling of being overwhelmed and discouraged and disillusioned. Don't let the enemy lie to you. And tell you that your God is not faithful, that your God is not able, that you are alone and that you've got to try and cope with this on your own. Guess what? We're not going to be passive. We're going to go into peace today, reminding ourselves, stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So I pray hope and hope and hope and hope in that room, in Jesus' name, by the power of his Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for having me in this amazing virtual world that we live in. So much love and so much peace and so much hope in Jesus' name from California.